So over this summer, uh, we have been doing a series through spiritual rhythms. And one of the things I love about our church, so we exist to help people take their next step with God, and every week, people check the box for the next step email. And over this series, we have had more people uh, check that box than any other series that we have done in this last year. And the reason I love that is because you're engaging in some new spiritual rhythms. Uh, some of you over this summer um, maybe started fasting for the first time. Uh, some of you over the summer started to realize, oh, feasting is a spiritual practice and, and try to see how to, how, how to feast in a way that honors God. Some of you started to see work differently. I've gotten a number of emails from people and messages from people about Sabbathing for the first time ever, which is just an awesome thing to see. And so I'm just excited that you engaged in this over the summer. I just want to tell you I'm proud of you for doing that, you know, stepping into that. And, and so as we wrap up, we're going to look at community. Now, here's why we're looking at community last is because every single practice that we have looked at, from work, Sabbath, feasting, even confession, all of them have an aspect of community in them. All of the spiritual rhythms and practices that we have talked about need other people. Like even with confession, for example, confession's not just between you and God. We're told in James 5 that we confess our sins to one another. Now you don't confess your sins to everybody that you meet. I would, I would not encourage you to go to work tomorrow and walk up to your boss and be like, hey, I just got to tell you. I wouldn't encourage you to do that. But there's a communal aspect to every single spiritual rhythm and practice that we engage in. It's in feasting. It's in Sabbathing. Now, community, some of us are really good at community and relationships. Some of us are really good at building community. In fact, as you think about your community, how would you evaluate your community right now? On a scale of 1 to 10. You think, are you doing well? Are you happy with your community? Now, even if you think, you know what, Josh, I'm an introvert. I don't need community. I don't need other people. Like, I, I have my hobbies. I have, you know, my work. Here's the reality. I, I'm an introvert. It doesn't take any effort for me at all to be alone. It takes no effort. I don't have to try for it. I don't even, have, you know, I have to schedule it because I have five kids. But it takes no effort for me to be alone. I love it. I just savor being alone, okay? But I need people. I need community because we're created for community. And the reason that we know this is because of the epidemic that is happening in our culture of loneliness. This is how we know we need community because loneliness is at this epidemic level in our culture. Listen to this. Since the pandemic, okay, the Harvard Medical School has found that almost 40% of Americans, almost 40% report experiencing serious loneliness. Now, what's serious loneliness? Serious loneliness is feeling lonely frequently or almost all the time, okay? So four out of 10 Americans feel extremely lonely frequently or almost all of the time. Do you know who the loneliest age group in America is? Teens. 15 to 25, loneliest age group in America. Now, you would think, you would think with technology, that wouldn't be the case. And, and here's why. I, I, love, I love this quote. I love because it's so prophetic. In 2017, Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook, or the guy who stole Facebook, depending on what happened, said this in 2017, what we're doing on Facebook will not only turn around the whole decline 
in community membership that we've seen for decades. It will start to strengthen our social fabric and bring the world closer together. Did that happen? No. No, and technology, here's what technology does. Technology is so powerful. Our digital age is so powerful when it comes to relationships. We feel connected because of likes and swipes and followers. But here's the reality about technology. It only gives us the illusion of friendship and connection. See, we have this idea, and students, you, you grew up with this, that technology makes us more connected. We have this idea. It feels like it does, but technology, I believe, actually works against our deep need for community. Did you know that since the invention of the smartphone, think about it like this. Now, children have always experienced this in relationships, but children now experience something new in relationships that depending on your age, if you didn't grow up with a phone, you didn't experience this growing up. But children have always been competing for their parents' attention, right? We've, we've always been doing that. As a child, you said to your mom, hey, mom, look at this. Mom, dad, look at this. Check this out. Mom, look at this. Check this out. But now, for the first time, they're competing with your phone. And we all know the pain of being reminded as someone looks at their phone, as someone says, yeah, 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 yeah I, I, I see, I see. But they're looking at their phone. We know the pain of that isolation, of being reminded that something or someone is more interesting than you. And we talked about this last week, about the power of phones at tables. And you know this when you sit in a meeting, right? Have you ever sat in a work meeting and someone's phone bangs and you're like, great. I, here, my first thought is, I'm just going to stop talking because you're not going to listen anymore. But we keep talking. And so for the first time in relationships, the first time in community, we are reminded that there is something more powerful and more interesting than us. And loneliness doesn't just hurt, but it's actually harmful. Loneliness increases your risk of death by 26%. Loneliness and poor social connections are as bad for your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It's an incredible stat. Loneliness is worse than obesity. It leads to um, all kinds of heart issues and dementia. Here's the spiritual side of loneliness. You ready? Do you know what the first problem in the Bible is? It's not sin. Sin is not the first problem in the Bible. Loneliness is. Loneliness is the first problem identified in the Bible, which is fascinating to me, which tells us so much about how God created us and wired us to experience life. Okay, in Genesis 2.18, now this, is, this context is important. This is before Genesis 3 and sin enters the world, okay? God has created everything. He's created Adam. He's created all the animals. He's created the sun, the moon, the stars, the light, the water, everything, and then it says in verse 18 of chapter 2, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. Now, this verse often gets used to just talk about marriage. This verse is not primarily about marriage. Okay? This verse is not primarily about marriage. This verse is about loneliness and connection. This verse is about intimacy. 
Throughout Genesis 1 and 2, God creates everything, breathes life into Adam, breathes life into all of the animals, and says again and again, it is good. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it changes and said, it is not good. Now, here's the amazing thing. Because Adam is alone. Now, here's what's incredible about this verse. Adam had things to do. He was to name things. He had projects. He had a beautiful garden to live in. He had plenty of food, plenty of water, and don't miss this, he had a perfect relationship with God. It's just him and God. Now, here's one of the lies that we tell ourselves when it comes to community and church. I'll hear people say all the time, yeah, I don't need community, Josh. I don't need to be in a small group. It's just me and God. I, I, just, I just need God in my relationships. That's it. It's just me and God. Anybody who ever tells you that, just open Genesis 2.18 and say, well, you know what? God says he'd like you to have somebody else in your life. Because, you know, so here's the thing. God says Adam needs somebody. Why? Because Adam's alone. Adam doesn't have a friend. He doesn't have a companion. He doesn't have a squad. He doesn't have anybody to run with. And we look at this and we say all the time, I just need God. Now, don't walk out of here and go, well, Josh said we don't just need God. But here's what's really important. I don't want you to miss this. God says it's not good for you to walk through life by yourself. It's not good for you to not have a friend. Now, again, this verse is not primarily about marriage because you can live an absolutely full, robust life without getting married. Okay? This verse is not primarily about marriage. And a lot of people butcher the Bible when they open it up and just say, well, Genesis 2 is all about me. It's not. It's about intimacy and connection. And, and you don't need marriage for that. Now, what does it look like, though? So this is the problem. This is the first problem. I, it's so fascinating to me reading through Scripture and seeing that loneliness is the first problem identified in the Bible. You would think it would be something else. I, I thought it would be something else. Shame, fear, guilt. I mean, those feel like first problems. But loneliness is the first problem. Now, here's what this should do. It should help us to see that when we feel the ache of loneliness, God cares. When you feel the ache of loneliness, when you feel the ache of being left out. Students, when you scroll through social media and see the party or the event that you didn't get invited to, God feels the ache. He feels the ache. And I want you to hear this because when you feel that ache of loneliness, I want you to hear the words of God saying, this is not good. This is not how it's meant to be. I want you to feel like there's so much grace in that. That when you feel left out, when you feel uninvited, when you feel unwanted, your Father in heaven says, this is not good. And I know some of us right now, we feel this ache. You feel the ache of loneliness. Because over the last several years, you've maybe had friends leave. You've maybe made, you know, watched some friends who had some different political views from you and they've walked out of your life. Maybe you've had some people say to you, oh, that's, that's, that's who you are, okay. And you felt judged by them. And you have felt the ache. And I know students, you, you feel this ache all the time. People don't understand me. I don't know that I'm wanted. I don't know that people notice that I'm there. 
I want you to hear that God identifies and says, this is not good. This is not how it was meant to be. And so then, from Genesis 2 on, the story of Scripture encapsulates a lot of things, but one of the things that it does is it shows God's remedy and answer to building a new community. I said this as we walked through the week on reading our Bible. Scripture is written in community to communities. The letters of the New Testament are written to communities. Someone walked with Paul's and Peter's letters and they walked into communities and they read them. Paul wrote many of his letters in community. He talks about the people who helped to transcribe it for him, the people who took his thoughts down through the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, most historians believe that Paul didn't write any of his letters by hand. Somebody else did it. In fact, at the end of Romans, one of the guys inserts his name and says, I wrote this down for Paul. Like, hey, just don't forget, just in case Paul doesn't tell you that I wrote it. Like, I mean, it's such a passive-aggressive move. I love it, you know? And so the story of Scripture, then, is how to live in community. And here's why I bring up Romans, because Paul's letters, Paul spends the first half of his letters talking about Jesus and the gospel. The first half of every Paul's letters, Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, you name it, talks about the power of the gospel, what Jesus does through his life, death, and resurrection, and then spends the second half on how to live that out, what happens now. Now, in Romans, Romans actually is 16 chapters. Paul spends 11 chapters talking about the gospel. I mean, it's just this huge picture of what Jesus has done. And then we get to Romans 14 and 15 and 16, and in Romans 12, he talks about community. And he says this in Romans 12. He says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. So he says, our relationships, because of the gospel, because Jesus has changed us, our relationships should be harmonious. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, the things we're going to look at today, you don't have to do. You don't have to do them, okay? If you're a follower of Jesus, you don't have an out. You, these are the things that, as a follower of Jesus, should be true of all of your relationships, now, I would say this, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you will find that if you begin doing these things that your relationships will get better. You will, you will find that. But you'll also find that it's not really easy to do. Why? Living in harmony with people is not easy. It's easy to be a solo act than have harmony. It's easier in relationships to have some discord than harmony. It's easy to get out of tune, isn't it? That's real easy. It doesn't take any work at all. All you have to do is do nothing and your relationships will get out of tune. You gotta warm up for harmony. You gotta twist and prod and maybe put on a new guitar string and stuff like that. You gotta clean out your instrument and you gotta blow out the spit and everything like that if you play trombone. Like, you gotta do all that stuff. Harmony is not easy. But what destroys it? He says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Now, here's what he, he could have said anything here. He could have said, don't be a jerk. Don't be argumentative. Don't be difficult. What does he say? Don't be proud. Why? Pride is the destroyer of all relationships. It's the destroyer of all relationships. Pride gets in the way of harmony. It's the most destructive thing. Pride keeps us alone. Pride makes it, makes it so that I, I think I don't need you. Pride makes it so that I think you don't need me. Here's the thing, we have this idea when we show up in community that we're just showing up because we need other people in our lives. But let me throw this out to you. 
if you don't come on a Sunday morning, if you don't show up at your community group, everybody who is there misses out on you. We need you to show up. They need you to show up. You don't just need them. They need you too. You may think, well, I, you know, I don't know if they need me. I don't know if they They know you're not there. We know you're not there. But pride says, I can stay home tonight. Pride says, I don't, I don't need to go. Pride says, I don't need to say anything. Another translation says, don't be proud. Associate with people of low position. Now, here's, one of the, here's why I love that translation of low position. Because in our digital world, we look for relationships and we connect with people that can elevate us, that can move us up, give us more influence, right? We look around, what do we do when we walk into a room at work or you know, a conference, a networking thing, what do we do? We look for the power. We walk in, where's, where's the power? Where's the influence? Who's the in crowd? We do this at school. It's our first go-to thing. Who's the in crowd? Who's gonna elevate me up? Paul says, associate with people of low position. People of low position are people who can't help you move up. People of low position are maybe some extra grace required people. People of low position are people that are maybe hard and difficult to get along with. They might be needy. Now, in our digital communities, this is customizable. Do you know what we do with needy people in our digital communities? We unfollow them. And we don't tell them. Do you know, I mean, I'll be honest, one of my favorite things that Facebook did was give me the ability to unfollow you without you knowing it. <laughs> and you feel the same way. You were like, ah, oh, it's amazing. I don't actually have to tell this person that I didn't, you know. And they're like, hey, did you see that picture? No, you know. And then we just lie. Instead of saying I unfollowed you, we're like, you know, I'm just not on social media as much as I used to be. That's how I missed it. I, you know, I don't know. Like, our, our communities are so customizable. We unfriend, unfollow, block somebody online. I mean, how many of you have unfollowed or blocked somebody this past week? You did, don't lie. Don't lie, it's fine. I'll raise my hand proudly, I did it, okay? Now I want you to think about this. I want you to think about showing up to one of your community groups and in the middle of the sentence, somebody talking to you and be like, blocked. Now, I would love to do that, and maybe you would love to do that too, and maybe you're like, Josh, I'm a little bit quieter, and so I would do it silently. <laughs> but we can't do that around the table. You can't do that at work. You can't sit there at work and be like, I unfollowed you, so like, I can't hear you right now. <laughs> we can't do that. And I wonder sometimes, because part of who we unfollow and block are the people of the low position. They're the people who are needy or whiny or need some extra grace. See, this is important. You, you need those people in your life. You need the weak people in your life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in World War II said that every Christian community must know that not only do the weak need the strong, but also that the strong cannot exist without the weak. The elimination, don't miss this, the elimination of the weak is the death of the community. The elimination of the weak is the death of the community. Now, who do we block and unfollow in our lives? We block the weak, the low position. But Paul says you can't. But where does harmony come from? Where does it, it come from? 
Harmony comes from different perspectives, different life stages. Harmony comes from different genders. Harmony comes from different experiences that we walk through. Can I tell you one of my hopes for our church five years from now? Here's one of my hopes. One of my hopes five years from now is that we would grow deeper in our emphasis on intergenerational relationships. Okay, five years from now, here's what I mean. Some of you may not say amen after this, you ready? Five years from now, here's what I hope. I hope that at almost all of our small groups, I say almost, but I would love all of them, that at every one of our small groups, it's a big family. That at every one of our groups sitting around a table or sitting in a living room is not just your life stage, but that it would have singles, young married couples, without kids, and then some screeching babies and toddlers, (laughs) some empty nesters, people with teenagers who are trying to figure it out. But there would be teenagers there engaged in the conversation and a part of what's going on and sharing how they saw God work in their life. Now, that's part of the picture of harmony. And that sounds really nice. That sounds really idealistic. One of my favorite memories of a community group that we led in our house in Tucson, we had 19 kids and 17 adults in a 1,400 square foot house. And you know what? Our kids to this day still talk about that group. They still talk about the people in that group. Some of the people in that group this past year sent our two 13-year-old birthday letters. Now, Here's what that takes. Paul tells us what that takes. In Romans 15, he says, now, this is where harmony comes from. Now may the God who gives endurance. Okay, that's where harmony comes from. An encouragement, grant you to live in harmony with one another according to Christ Jesus. Harmony comes from God. It's something we have to ask for, something we'll have to seek. It comes from endurance, meaning it's not easy. Harmony is work. Relationships are work. Okay, your work, the person sitting next to you is work. You can get in the car and look at them and be like, hey, your work. (laughs) But so are you, your work too. Relationships are challenging. And here's here's how I know this. And and there's a spiritual component to this. One of my mentors tells me this all the time and I, I hate it every time he says it. But he says, God has placed the people in your life to bring about the growth he wants. Okay, God has put the people in your life, the most difficult people in your life, the people that you would like to just kind of, you know, you're just like, man, if Jesus could just rapture them out of my life, those people, God has placed them in your life to bring about the growth he wants to bring about. Okay? But it's not easy. It takes work. It takes work. We have to protect it. And Paul tells us in Romans 16, he says, now I urge you brothers and sisters to watch out for those who create divisions and obstacles contrary to the teaching that you learned. Avoid them. Because such people do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites. They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting with smooth talk and flattering words. See, harmony, one of the biggest obstacles to harmony, as Chris talked about earlier, is disunity, is divisions. If there's a verse in the Bible that I think is for today about social media and our, and our news, it's this verse, okay? Let me read it again. Watch out for those who create divisions and obstacles contrary to the teaching that you learned. Okay, let me ask you this. 
Does your news consumption encourage you to unity or disunity? Watch out for those who create divisions and obstacles. No, we share podcasts and articles, not encouraging us to come together, but how wrong the other side is. And, and let me say this, I, I, as your pastor, I want you to hear this. Over the last several years, our communities, relationships that we have, have been challenged probably more than any other time in your lifetime political divisions, every, everything now, every, everything now has a Bible verse. We attach a Bible verse to everything now. The, over the last two years, I've seen people attach a Bible verse to wearing a mask and not wearing a mask, to getting a vaccine and not getting the vaccine. I've seen a Bible verse attached to everything. And so it's just kind of like, well, there you go. Well, you know, obviously God was talking about this. And we allow it to divide us. And Paul tells us, this is so important. In, in Romans 14, he says, don't argue about disputed matters. What do you argue about in your relationships? Disputed matters. All of us do. Because we all have opinions about it. You have an opinion, I have an opinion. And over the next couple of years, as we get closer to the next election cycle, here's what I need you to hear. I love that our church, I love how diverse we are politically and in our opinions, but over the next few years, our unity around that is gonna be challenged going to be challenged. And you and I need to be ready to protect it and say, no, 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 this matters more than what's happening with politics, with this, with the thing that hasn't happened yet, the next pandemic. We have to guard against it. I love what Francis Chan says. He says that when love is shallow, all it takes is something as trivial as a disagreement to divide us. And guard against that. Don't argue over disputed matters. It's okay to have an opinion. But don't, don't let it divide us. Push against that. Be willing to serve. Be willing to take the, the low position in a relationship. Be understanding of that. So how do we build healthy community? If you check your uh, next, next Step email box on your Connect card, I'm gonna send you tomorrow a couple of ideas, but here's how I wanna close. This past year, I read a book called The Resilient Pastor, and in it, Glenn Packiam talks about community and relationships, and he uses the story of Lord of the Rings and Frodo Baggins to help us see the community that we need. Now, I don't know if we have any Lord of the Rings fans, but <laughs> even if you've only seen the movies, you know the story. And, and Pacquiam walks through five categories of relationships that we need in Frodo's life. Now, the first one, now these are important because I think without these relationships, we don't become the people that God has called and created us to be, and we don't fulfill the things that God's called us to, okay? I think they're a really big deal. And I think as I go through these, I want you to think about who in your life fits these categories. And are you in these categories for other people? So I want you to use this as kind of an evaluation. It's been part of our process in this series. It's just evaluating where we are. So the first category is the sage. Now this is Gandalf in Lord of the Rings. This is the wise wizard. This is Yoda in Star Wars. The one who just appears at all the right moments, 
right? The sage represents wisdom of those who have gone before you. Deeper life experiences, maturity, wisdom. They have the scars to show you. Now, the sage is not always the oldest person in the room because you have met some people who are later in life and they still act like teenagers and they haven't learned anything. So the sage is not just the older people, okay? But a lot of times they are, okay? The sage is the person who has walked before other people. They're further along. Now, here's the thing. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey and no matter what age you are, you are further along than somebody, okay? There is somebody behind you who knows less than you do that you are a sage to. Now, here's what I hear all the time. I can't disciple anybody, Josh. I can't mentor anybody. Like, I, you know, I, I can't do it like so-and-so. Like, I hear what they do. Here's my response. You're not that person. So do it like you do. You're further than somebody. You need a sage in your life, and you need to be the sage for somebody. And when it comes, let me say this, especially to students. When it comes to mentoring and things like that, we always look, we have this idea that we're gonna find a mentor who will mentor us in like every aspect of our life. Don't, just find a mentor who knows one thing about one thing, okay? Find a mentor for finances, a different mentor for relationships, a different mentor for health, a different mentor for your spiritual growth. Like I remember when Katie and I first got married and we joined a small group and this couple had met on Saturday nights, Sean and Stacy, and we had no idea what we were doing when we were married. We were 20 and 22. We were so, whenever we meet people that young who get married now, I'm just like, you guys are babies. You're like, why are you doing this? Like, you know, but we had no idea what we were doing. And we joined this small group, and, and we didn't have a washer and dryer. We were, we were so broke. And so they said, hey, why don't you come over for dinner before the first time? And they knew we didn't have a washer and dryer. They're like, bring your wash with you, okay? <laughs> so we bring our wash with them. We showed up on Saturday night. Do you know what we did next Saturday night? We just assumed we were invited for dinner and brought our wash with us. So we showed up every Saturday night for three years. We just invaded their life, okay? And, and I remember, like, we just showed up. And we're like, hey, like, we don't know anything. Like, can we just watch you guys, like, do marriage? Can we just watch you do life? And they just let us come in. We watched them parent their kids. And then they were like, hey, you know what? Like, um, so we're going to get some free babysitting out of this. So we watched their kids. And, but they taught us so much. I, didn't, I could have gone to Sean and say, now Sean, I mean, he was super smart, like way high up in the defense department. He had all kinds of wisdom. There's all kinds of things he could have taught me about. I just said, hey, you know this one thing, like your marriage is more than where mine is and I would like to know how you got there. And just ask that. And, just, and I always tell people, when you want to find a mentor, just invade their life, okay? Okay? But the sage is steady. The sage is steady. The next category is companions. For Frodo, this is Mary and Pippin, and for sure, Samwise. Faithful, loyal friends. These are the people. Now, there are varying levels of companions, right? Because Frodo's closer to Sam than he is to Mary and Pippin, right? He has a deeper intimacy with Sam. He says some things to Sam. You know, Frodo and Pippin, they, you know, they, they go, or Mary and Pippin, they go off on their own way. They get divided, but, but Sam, what does Sam say? Sam never leaves Frodo's side. I mean, he goes after him. He just chases after him. One of the most amazing lines in the whole book is when Sam says to Frodo, I can't carry the ring for you, but I can carry you. Man, that's a line. I can't carry the ring for you, but I can carry you. See, you need a friend in your life. You need a companion that can carry you. You need somebody in your life that when the world falls apart at 3 a.m., you can call. 
and you need to be that for somebody. And you need to risk it. You need to risk it for relationships. You need to risk it. You maybe, you maybe need to make some changes in your schedules for it. I remember when we lived in Tucson, we literally bought a house and moved so we would live four doors from our 3 a.m. friends. Okay? And one night, their son, literally their like four-year-old son, woke up in the middle of the night and thought his mom was still hanging out at our house, walked down to our house at two in the morning and knocked on our door. Okay? It scared all of us. Um, but that's how close we were. And so we, we, we moved. And, and this is what it takes to have three, because we all go, how do I get deep intimate relationships? Well, it may mean you have to make some changes. You maybe don't move, but like you make some changes in your life. You dig into it. So who are those people? Who are the friends that you call when it all falls apart? And if you don't have those, begin building into those so that when it all falls apart, you have somebody to call. Who is the one that says, I can't walk through what you're walking through? I don't know what, they don't even have to know what it's like to walk what you're walking through. Samwise didn't know what it was like for Frodo to carry the ring. He didn't understand the weight of that. Too many times we think, oh, companions have to be my same life stage. They have to have like the same number of kids. They have to have the same whatever. No, they don't. They just have to be people who understand what you're walking through and people who will show up. The different level of friends is peers. For Frodo, these are the dwarves and the elves. These are the people who fight alongside of him. Now, often we either put a lot of emphasis on peers or a lot of emphasis on companions. Peers are the people in your life that kind of move in and out of your world. They're coworkers, other parents at sporting events and things like that, people that you see at your card club or whatever hobby you have. Like these are the people who kind of move in, where you're like, oh, I haven't seen you in like three months and let's just pick right back up where we were. Those are, those are the peers. Some of us don't emphasize that enough, especially middle-aged men. We, we just let all relationships go. You ask most middle-aged to older men, how many close friends you have, the older they are, the lower the number gets. And we need peers. We need people that we're just shooting the breeze with on the side of the field. The people who walk with us. And I think we put too much pressure on relationships often and we think every relationship has to be a lifelong, deep, intimate friendship. It doesn't. It doesn't. You need peers. The next category for Frodo is the king. In Middle Earth, this is Aragorn. Think of the king as the person who can tell you no. This is a person that carries some moral authority, some weight, some integrity in your life. This is the person that can look at you and say, you know, you really shouldn't do that. Now, here's my guess, is that if you look at regrets you have in your life, you probably had somebody who told you you shouldn't do that. You know, you shouldn't buy that house now. You probably shouldn't take that job. This really is not the person for you to marry. You, you had a king in your life, and potentially you said, yeah, but you just don't understand. You need somebody in your life that can look at you and say, this is not a good idea. You need somebody in your life that can tell you when you're acting immature. You need somebody who holds up the mirror to you and says, let's just take a look. <laughs> I don't know if you see what I see, but like this is, do you hear yourself? <laughs> you need somebody who does that. Now, 
we don't like this person. <laughs> you may be really good at this, especially if you're a parent, you're really good at this for your kids. But here's one of the things that's so important about intergenerational relationships. This is what I love. I was telling, I was telling somebody this past week is that there are things that I'll say to my kids and they, they won't hear. They'll come home and they'll be like, hey, I was talking to so-and-so and they said, this was so wise, dad. It was so amazing what they said. And Katie and I are just standing there. We're like, we have told you this a thousand times, right? Because that's just why we need other people. You need somebody in your life that can tell you you're acting like a child, no matter how old you are. And the last category that we need is we need a healer. See, in Lord of the Rings, this is Elrond and Arwen, the elvish healers. This could be, you may pay for this person in life. This may be a counselor. This may be a spiritual director or a coach. This may be a parent or a friend, a group leader, a pastor, but you need somebody who can speak directly to your scars in your story. You need somebody who can look at you and say, it's really not okay what you walk through. You need somebody who can look at you and say, I'm sorry that that happened. So here's my evaluation for you as we end this series. Do you have all five of these people in your life right now? Do you have all five of them? Who are you missing? Who are you missing in your life? What role do you play in other people's lives? What role do you play in other people's lives? We need a companion, a peer, a king, a healer, and a sage. Let's pray together, and then we'll respond together and close. Father, I thank you that you show us what relationships are to be like, and you show us what harmony will take. And God, I pray that as we move forward into this next season as a church, God, that you would help us to protect the unity that we have within our relationships. God, I pray for those of us who need one of these five categories in our life. I pray that we would put in the time and energy and effort to build that relationship. Father, I pray that you would bring the people into our life that we need. I pray that you would help us to be the people in other people's lives that they need and to not run from that. And so, Father, I thank you that you go before us. I thank you that Jesus is all around us and in us as we move forward and guiding our steps. And so, God, as we sing this last song and we remind ourselves that Christ is all around us and we remind ourselves that in our loneliness you say, this is not good, this is not how it's supposed to be. I thank you that you don't leave us as orphans in your name.